Hello, and welcome to Rounds with Reliath, the podcast for healthcare professionals. I'm your host, Jesse Saffron. Today's topic is acute flaccid myelitis, or AFM. It is a rare neurologic disease that in recent years has baffled many in epidemiology. Its exact cause is not known, and cases have spiked every two years since 2014 when the CDC first began tracking the disease. AFM has been described as polio-like because of its ability to affect the nervous system and cause muscle weakness. Other symptoms can range from facial droop to slurred speech. In 2018, there were 186 reported AFM cases in 38 states. To help us learn more about AFM, we are joined today by Dr. Owen Murphy, a James T. Lubin Fellow at the Johns Hopkins Transverse Myelitis Center in Baltimore. Dr. Murphy received her medical degree from University College Dublin and completed a neurology residency at the Royal College of Physicians in Ireland. Dr. Murphy, thank you for being on the show. Thanks, Jesse. I'm glad to be here today. Can you describe what AFM is? What do we know about it so far? Well, AFM is a neurological illness that primarily affects children, and it has been recognized in the U.S. and many other countries in recent years. Uh, the disease itself manifests with a rapid onset of severe weakness or paralysis, usually occurring a few hours after a viral illness or a few days. During, um, the type of viral illness that a child usually experiences might manifest with fever, respiratory symptoms, or vomiting and diarrhea. The paralysis of AFM usually affects one or more of the child's limbs and can also involve muscles essential for either breathing, speaking, or swallowing. In a typical case, the child goes from being completely normal to a state of severe weakness or paralysis within hours to days. In fact, affected children appear very similar to children in the past who suffered from polio, a disease which was eradicated from developed countries in the 20th century through universal vaccination. We suspect that AFM may be triggered by certain viruses, particularly viruses in the enterovirus family. We have a few pieces of evidence that point us towards this. Firstly, outbreaks of AFM and certain enteroviruses have occurred at the same time, with the first major outbreak of around 120 cases of AFM occurring in the US in 2014, at the same time as the first major outbreak of an emerging virus called enterovirus D68. Secondly, in almost all cases, the acute neurological illness is preceded by a viral or febrile illness. And thirdly, in some children with AFM, enteroviruses including strains D68 or A71 have been identified in nasal swabs taken during the acute illness. Finally, in animals who have been deliberately infected with enterovirus D68, some have actually developed an illness similar to the AFM seen in humans. So overall, we suspect that AFM may be a rare manifestation of some relatively common viruses. However, we need more evidence to conclusively link AFM with these viruses. And a big question that remains is that we do not yet know how these viruses could be triggering AFM, which is important for considering future potential treatments. After the first major outbreak of AFM in 2014 in the US, further outbreaks have occurred here in 2016 and most recently in 2018 with the CDC monitoring numbers of confirmed cases. Outbreaks have also been reported in many other countries worldwide during the same time periods, for example, in European countries and Australia. 
But it is important to remember that this remains a rare disease, with only 186 confirmed cases in the US in 2018. In other words, less than one in a million of the population were affected last year. Dr. Murphy, are there specific cases you've come across that could give our listeners a better understanding of the spectrum of the disease and how it can manifest itself? Sure. Uh, Well, the first thing to note is that ASM is quite a severe disease. It usually affects children between the ages of around one year and 15 years, although some cases have also been reported in adults. In most cases, the child develops um, a viral or febrile illness a few days before the onset of weakness. Often, other members of the household are actually affected with a similar viral illness but do not develop neurological problems. As the child with AFM is developing weakness, they might report headache or pain in the arms or legs, which interestingly were symptoms frequently reported in children who developed polio in the past. Then the child develops focal weakness, which can be frighteningly rapid and usually starts in the neck or one limb and then spreads elsewhere. The spectrum of the illness is indeed quite broad. In the mildest cases, the child may present with weakness of one arm or one leg. In moderate cases, more than one limb may be affected and there may also be weakness of the neck, the face or the respiratory muscles. In the most severe cases that we have seen, the paralysis may be almost global. In these types of cases, uh, the children may have paralysis of all of their limbs and their trunk and their neck. They might require ventilation due to respiratory muscle weakness and require tube feeding due to impaired swallowing. The The child might be unable to speak and unable to support their head due to neck weakness. Sometimes facial movements and eye movements are also affected. And in addition to the motor problems, the the autonomic pathways in the spinal cord may be affected. So some children develop additional complications like irregular heart rhythms, heart block, uh, blood pressure problems, bowel and bladder dysfunction. Interestingly, because the region of the spinal cord that is affected is mainly the grey matter of the anterior horn cells, which control the motor function of the body, usually sensory function is spared and the patient does not have difficulty with sensation in affected parts of the body. So mild cases might require just a little acute support of treatment and then may proceed quickly to rehabilitation. On the other hand, the cases at the more severe end of the spectrum in uh, these kind of children might require acute inpatient hospital care for weeks or even months in some cases, particularly if they require ongoing intensive care and ventilatory support. Dr. Murphy, even though this is a rare condition, it is, as you've mentioned, one that deserves serious attention given the neurologic problems it can cause. I'm curious, what do you think healthcare providers should be focused on going forward? Um, firstly, I think it's important that healthcare providers are simply aware of this illness. Although it is rare, the manifestations can be severe. And if the disease is not recognized, then the child may not receive the urgent supportive care they need. For example, if a child presents to their primary care practitioner or an emergency department with mild limb weakness and AFM is not considered as a diagnosis, the child could be discharged home and may then develop rapid respiratory failure, for example, as the illness progresses. So it's vital that healthcare providers are aware that focal limb weakness can suggest AFM. Once the diagnosis of ASM is considered, most cases can be confirmed using a combination of clinical assessment, 
uh, an MRI of the spinal cord and lumbar puncture to examine the CSS. Uh, MRI of the spinal cord usually shows characteristic findings, uh, including high signal in the grey matter and swelling of the spinal cord. And CSF studies are also helpful in that they typically show elevated white blood cells. The second important clinical aspect in the care of patients with AFM is careful supportive care in appropriate setting. In many children with this disease, this might mean uh, critical care in an ICU with respiratory support if necessary. As with any severe acute illness, measures to maintain mobility and avoid hospital-acquired infections are very important. Uh, also, the risk of respiratory decompensation should always be considered, particularly if the patient requires sedation for an MRI or for a lumbar puncture. Next, after the acute phase of the illness, a comprehensive rehabilitation program should be considered for the patient with a team of therapists including physical therapy, occupational therapy, and speech pathology, for example. With early and intensive rehabilitation, most, make, most patients will make substantial gains. However, even with the best rehabilitation facilities and therapy, this remains a challenging illness, as studies show that around three-quarters of affected children with AFM will have some long-term significant weakness or disability. In severe cases, the child may remain wheelchair-bound and even ventilator-dependent. So in these cases, appropriate home supports and caregiver supports are essential to provide a good quality of ongoing life for the patient. To find out more about topics like this one, please go to reliasmedia.com slash podcast, where you can listen to other episodes. There, you also can subscribe to our informative publications, such as Infectious Disease Alert, and obtain CME credit. Dr. Murphy, can you talk for a little bit about available treatments and what can clinicians do to help the situation? Is there anything on the horizon that should be a cause for hope for people who are seeing this disease and seeing how it's really negatively affecting those who are afflicted with it? Hmm. Uh, unfortunately, at the moment, we do not have evidence to support any specific treatment being effective in AFM. Uh, part of the difficulty with evaluating treatments in this disease is actually our lack of understanding of how the disease process occurs. It's unclear whether AFM results from a direct infection of particular viruses into the spinal cord tissue or whether it's actually a secondary immune-mediated process which causes the tissue damage. A range of treatments have been uh, given empirically to patients with AFM, and these include treatments typically used for other severe autoimmune or inflammatory diseases, for example, intravenous steroids, intravenous immunoglobulins, or plasma exchange. However, there's actually not compelling evidence for us to be able to recommend any particular treatment at present. And as this is a rare illness, Clinicians at smaller centres may wish to seek advice from larger regional pediatric or neurology centres to guide diagnosis and treatment if they encounter a patient with AFM. So while the lack of a specific treatment is frustrating, this does not mean that healthcare professionals cannot help improve outcomes for children with AFM. As I mentioned before, careful supportive care is essential to get patients on the road to recovery and then great gains can be made with focused intensive rehabilitation. In the long term, patients with a history of AFM require many supports that other patients with a chronic neurological disease might require. 
such as walking aids, management of orthopedic complications, respiratory issues, and the need for ongoing physical therapy. Another interesting consideration for patients with AFM is the possibility of nerve transfer surgery, where a a functioning nerve can be transposed to an area of weakness to help improve functional mobility. A number of surgical centres across the US uh, can evaluate patients who may benefit from this type of surgery. Dr. Murphy, can you please tell our audience about the work that you're doing at Johns Hopkins in regard to AFM? And can you talk about the work that the CDC and others are doing? I know that the CDC created an AFM task force last November. Absolutely. Uh, Well, to start in Johns Hopkins, at the Transverse Myelitis Center, we are involved both in the clinical care of patients with AFM and also in the research of this condition. From a research perspective, we are particularly interested in the clinical phenotypes of AFM why some patients with AFM make an excellent recovery and why some patients have a much more challenging course. We are carrying out observational clinical research to give us a better idea regarding these questions. Secondly, we are particularly interested in MRI as a tool to confirm diagnosis and predict prognosis in AFM. MRI of the spinal cord in AFM typically shows swelling and inflammation in the gray matter but some areas more affected than others. We're uh, undertaking a comprehensive analysis of whether MRI images may help predict outcomes and even identify which children will need advanced interventions, such as uh, nerve transfer surgery. Our colleagues in other departments in Johns Hopkins are also working on a number of other interesting research projects. A particularly important question that some of our colleagues are working on is why uh, some particular individuals develop AFM. For example, we see many families where uh, all members of the household develop a similar viral illness, but only one person actually develops the neurological complication of AFM. Is this because of a particular genetic predisposition or perhaps the nature of an individual's immune response? Another research project at Johns Hopkins focuses on how EMG uh, can be used to inform diagnosis and outcomes in patients with AFM. Uh, I'm also involved in the AFM Working Group, which is an informal network of interested healthcare professionals who wish to collaborate to improve the clinical care of patients with AFM and learn more about the condition through research. AFM intersects many medical specialties such as neurology, pediatrics, infectious diseases, physical medicine and rehabilitation, and critical care. In addition to this, many healthcare providers are also involved in the care of these patients, such as physicians, nurses, and therapists. With the AFM Working Group, we are trying to bring together the expertise of all these diverse groups of people to develop strategies to tackle possible future outbreaks. So various research projects across the U.S. and Canada are looking at aspects uh, of the illness such as virology, immunology, lab research, and clinical research. The CDC has also established a task force focusing on AFM, and they're working with various stakeholders to improve case capture, diagnosis, and investigation of various uh, issues such as risk factors. So I am hopeful that with all these individuals and organizations involved, progress uh, should be made to improve outcomes for children with AFM in the coming years. Obviously, there are many unknowns when it comes to AFM, as you've mentioned, and much work remains to be done. 
what would you like to see going forward, whether in terms of new research or clinical practices? From a clinical practice perspective, the 2018 outbreak of AFM has tailed off in terms of uh, case numbers, but we are expecting further outbreaks in the coming years. Uh, outbreaks over the last few years of AFM have, incur- have occurred in the late summer and fall, likely due to the impact of climate-related factors such as temperature and humidity on circulating viruses. So we can possibly predict the time of the year that future outbreaks may occur. To prepare for those potential outbreaks, we need to raise awareness of the condition so that patients can receive a rapid and accurate diagnosis to guide their care. From a research perspective, the first question that needs to be answered is what is the definitive cause of AFM and what are the pathological processes underlying this? Further developments on treatment or even vaccinations against certain enteroviruses may be limited until we have a better understanding of the disease process itself. Important clinical research questions include biomarkers of prognosis, such as MRI and EMG and research questions that are more pertinent to patients who have already experienced AFM are questions regarding optimal rehabilitation approaches and how to select patients for nerve transfer surgeries. Patients who have experienced AFM and their families are really important for us to understand the impact of AFM on a person's life and what are the most important issues from their perspective. Um, We have been helped greatly by the Transverse Myelitis Association, which offers a supportive network for patients and their families and caregivers to discuss these questions and involve patients and their families uh, in the process of tackling AFM. So while AFM is a worrying, rare and severe illness, I think it is heartening that so many healthcare professionals and organizations are responding to these recent outbreaks in a positive way. Today, we've been joined by Dr. Owen Murphy, a James T. Lubin Fellow at the Johns Hopkins Transverse Myelitis Center in Baltimore, Maryland. Dr. Murphy, thank you again for being on the show, and I hope to talk with you again soon. Thanks, Jesse. It was a pleasure to be here today. Thank you for listening to this podcast from Relias Media, where we empower healthcare providers to improve patient care and outcomes. To find out more about topics like this one, please go to reliasmedia.com slash podcast where you can listen to other episodes. There, you also can subscribe to our informative publications such as Hospital Infection Control and Prevention and obtain CME or CE credit. 